going to start off our message today in the book of Romans, chapter 1. And as we turn there, we'll start with prayer. Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to open our Bibles and to read your precious word. These words have been kept and preserved over not only centuries, but millennia. And we're so privileged to have them at hand and available. And plus, to be able to read with understanding is such a precious gift. So thank you, Father, for that gift. And help each of us today as we read your scripture to really take it to heart and uh, get the full meaning that you have intended for us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, I know you're familiar with this chapter because Paul kind of unleashes, uh, I don't want to say an attack, but an indictment against society, not only of his day, but of our day today too. Uh, people who claim to be atheists and claim that there's no God, Paul says, all we have to do is look around us to see God and to realize that God exists. And he says in verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men and women are without excuse. So all you have to do is open your eyes to see the beauty of God's creation. All you have to do is look at some of these new pictures coming from the space telescope now of the wonders of the universe and the beauty of the universe to realize that somebody had to make that, had to create it. So we're told in the Bible not only to give credence to Holy Scripture, which we do, but also to God's creation, to learn about God himself. God's creation teaches us deep spiritual lessons. I want to focus in a little bit today on the book of Job, of all books of the Bible. You know, the book of Job has much to say about God's creation and Job's insight about creation, as we read here, <coughs> would have come from his observing nature itself. The book of Job is the oldest book of the Bible. <coughs> it took place uh, before the Exodus. It took place before Moses. You know, when you read the book of Job, you realize that uh, he offered his own sacrifices, which meant the, the priesthood wasn't instituted yet, and that happened at the time of the Exodus. So this is before the time of the Exodus. In the book of Job, no nations are mentioned, only city-states. <coughs> the Hebrew language was not created until the time of the Exodus. So Job even preceded that. Job was written almost entirely in poetry. And when you consider that, one of the reasons for that may have been that poetry is easier to memorize than the written word, prose. So Job may have been written in a way that, you know, before writing came about, and the Hebrew language didn't exist until the time of the Exodus. Before the Hebrew language was created, scripture, like Job, was preserved by memorization. 
as it still is in some parts of the world. <clears throat> Recently, I heard a uh, missionary talk about how when he went to Africa, he got to meet with some of the tribal leaders as he was sharing the gospel with them. And uh, they had assigned people to sit there to listen to the conversation and to memorize it. Because they weren't writing down, they weren't taking dictation, but they had certain individual or individuals with the job of memorizing everything that was said. So this may have been the case uh, with the book of Job. You know, there was one character in the book of Job named Elihu. And he doesn't say anything until the 32nd chapter of, of the book. And it could very well be that maybe he was the one responsible for memorizing the debate between Job and his three friends, which goes from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 32. Just a thought. But notice what Job says in Job 12 and verse 7. I think that Job was a real student of God's creation. He has a lot to say in the book. Do you realize that besides the book of Genesis, there is more said about God's creation in the book of Job than any other book of the Bible? And Job says this in Job 12, beginning in verse 7. <clears throat> he says, but ask the animals, and they will teach you, or the birds in the sky, and they will tell you. Continuing on in verse 8, Job 12 and verse 8, bear with me a minute. He says, or speak to the earth, and it will teach you, or let the fish of the sea inform you. Which of all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? has brought all things into creation. In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. So how did Job know that? There were no scriptures available to him at his time. It hadn't been written yet. He's way in the past. So he must have known all of this. God must have revealed all this to him just through creation and what Job had observed in the years of his life, just walking around and observing it. So, at creation, God brought into existence all of the animals, the plants, and so on. And when it comes to the animals, God endowed many of the animals with mind, with will, and emotions, and the capacity to emotionally bond with one another and with humanity. So, as a part of God's creation, he created the, the human race, of course, Adam and Eve, but bef even before that, he created the animal kingdom. And he created these animals with a capacity, and in some cases, a desire to bond with the human race. You know, we see that back in uh, the book of Genesis, where, don't forget, uh, God brought all of the animals to Adam and had him name them one by one. So Adam had that opportunity to do that, to get to know the individual animals, all the different species that God had created. So these animals were created 
not only to bond with one another, but to, to bond with Adam and the whole human race. There's a word there in Hebrew to describe these animals that God created, and the, the Hebrew word is nephesh, N-E-P-H-E-S-H. So these were animals that God created specifically to have a relationship with man. And in some cases, animals would even deny themselves in order to take care of their offspring. So there's a great capacity in these animals that God created. These animals tend to be drawn to humans and relate to them so that they can be tamed to serve and please people. And we see that today. Animals are used in all sorts of different ways. The police train animals to be police dogs, don't they? Some animals, again, I don't want to dwell totally on, on dogs, but they're trained to help the injured or the blind. Uh, they're trained to do tricks. And in some cases, you see animals doing all sorts of unbelievable things. And the only way that they can be trained like that is that they have a desire to be in contact with humans. And they want to please humans and serve humans. Now, we don't have a dog, although I had three German Shepherds over the years, my early years, enjoyed them very much. We're blessed with a cat now. And you know what? Cats do things. <laughs> they don't do as much as dogs. And, and I had to learn lessons because way back when, 13 years ago, when our daughter Mary Ann dropped her cat off at our house because she was getting married and moving to Texas, I didn't like cats. I'm allergic to cats. But you know what? Over the years, I have seen the purpose or, or the reason that God created cats and how they bond with human beings. You know, they have a, a capacity to know when you're troubled. And especially at a time like that, you may be sick, you may be worried, you might be stressed out. They come to you. They want to sit in your lap and just purr. You know, they, they lick you at times. They rub their tail against you at times. Kind of a greeting or affection that they show. So there's a purpose for cats, too. And I had to learn that over 13 years. And I got over my uh, dislike of cats. Every animal that God created has the capacity to do this. Some find it easier to adapt to the human race, some not so much. But God created them so that they can relate to us, they can serve us and please us. They have a desire to do that. As I said, some are easier to tame than others. A little bit later on, we'll talk about what Job says about the behemoth, which is probably a hippopotamus, and how difficult they are to train. And also he talks about the Leviathan, which is probably the crocodile, animals that live in that area where Job lived, and how difficult they are. But God made some animals with a tendency to be drawn to humans, as I said, to relate to them, to serve them, to please them, because the humans are the higher species. Remember, God created us separately. We're made in the image of God, whereas the animals are not. So get, get the lesson here, the lesser species is made to serve the higher species, the human race. And God is teaching us a lesson in this. Likewise, we humans were designed to come to God, 
to relate to him, to serve him, and to please him. Just as the animals were created that way for our benefit, we're created that way for God's benefit or for his praise, for his worship. So there's a lesson to be learned from the animals that we have, that we come in contact with, the pets that we have, the ones that we enjoy being with. They're created to serve us. We're created to serve God. And we will for all eternity. And we need to come to realize our purpose, why God has placed us on this earth. It's a relationship thing. Unfortunately, back in the Garden of Eden, we know that sin changed this whole design of God. Sin disrupted our relationship with animals. When sin entered in, curses came on the human race. God talks about that again back in Genesis chapter 3. Starting in the Garden of Eden, the whole relationship situation as God designed it changed. Part of the curse of sin was that animals became fearful of the human race. And it exists that way to some extent to our day today. You know, I got a bunch of rabbits out in my lawn. They live out there. They're uh, fun for Alvin to play with, our cat. But you go out there and try to catch one of those boogers. <laughs> Did you ever try to catch a wild rabbit? There's no way. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Why is it like that now? Why is it when you go hunting, the animals don't come to you, you know, uh, they run away from you, they fear you. That was part of the curse of sin. And furthermore, man became so sinful that man began to abuse animals. Uh, kill animals, I don't know if that was a part of God's original plan, the killing of animals, but it's happened throughout our history. And just as our relationship with animals has changed, instead of relating to one another, being able to train them, they now fear us. And will even kill us if they get scared enough. Sin also changed our relationship with God, didn't it? Just as it divided you know, man and animals, sin, starting in the Garden of Eden, changed our relationship with God. We began to fear God just as animals fear us. Sin changed our relationship with God. We began to fear God out of shame and we began to run away from him out of fear. Remember what happened when Adam and Eve uh, sinned in the garden? Genesis 3, beginning in verse 8. You know, God was used to daily walks through the garden with Adam and Eve, talking, conversing, enjoying one another, fellowshipping one another. But now that they sinned, notice how things changed. It says in verse 8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, as he normally did. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, hey, Where are you? Adam, <laughs> it's time for us to go on our walk. Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So see what sin does to us. That's why so many people have a problem with God today. They're faced with their own personal sins, and instead of thinking, boy, I'm in trouble with God, or God's going to get his revenge on me, 
they'd rather believe that there is no God. That puts their mind at ease. They don't have to face any kind of judgment or repent of their sins or show sorrow for their sins. So you see, this is the first lesson I want you to understand. Just as animals were created to serve humanity, we were created to serve God. And sin messed us all up. It messed up the, the animal kingdom. It changed them and turned them from man. And just in that similar way, sin changed us. And instead of being in relationship and fellowshipping with God, we're hiding from him for the most part as a human race. And uh, that contact has been cut off. You know, here's something to think about when it comes to animals and pets that we've had over the years. If you bond emotionally with one of these animals, whether it's a dog or a cat or a bird or no matter what it is you enjoy having, that animal will be able to outperform its wild peers. You can teach it tricks. You can teach a bird to talk. <laughs> you know, and dogs can do remarkable things, as we know, even cats sometimes and, and other animals as well. But that animal is going to be something much greater than it would have been if it was out in the wild, just hanging out with its fellow birds or, or fellow whatever. Whether it's trained for service or just doing tricks, that animal's mental capacity will be increased just by being with you, just by learning from humans. I don't know if you ever thought about that. You are taking this animal and I can uh, relate to our daughter, Teresa. She went to the dog pound down in Florida and just got a dog. She fell in love with this dog. This dog has had such experiences. This dog has flown in a plane. This dog has gone through the rapids, river rapids with her on a raft. She has given this dog so many different experiences. And just to think that this was a dog one day sitting in a common pound waiting to be adopted. She loves this dog and hangs out with this dog so much. She took this dog out to Colorado to go hiking. And uh, this dog has had tremendous experiences, just the, the two of them. So this is what we do. We better their lives when we take care of these animals. But think about this now. Animals will do what they normally wouldn't do in their natural habitat, just to please and serve their human master. You're giving this animal opportunities, you're teaching it, you're expanding its mind. Likewise, when we are bonded to our creator, our wisdom, our spiritual understanding and love for others are greatly magnified over people who don't share that bond with God. You ever think about that? You have wisdom about godly things that very few people in this world have. Why? Because you are bonded to your creator. You have gone to his word to learn about him, to appreciate him, and you, your understanding has expanded. We rise to the occasion and achieve what we normally couldn't have achieved if we didn't know God. And I'm an example of that right here. 
You know, before I became a Christian and went into ministry, there's no way you would have found me up here in front of a group of people speaking about God to them. It's a miracle. Never would I have done this. I would have been too fearful. But by putting my life in God's hands and seeking to learn about him, he has given us opportunity upon opportunity. I like this scripture here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26. This is because you know God. This is because you've given your life to him. The Apostle Paul says, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were before you were called. We were out there in the wild, like wild animals, okay? Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things, that's us, (laughs) We weren't big shots in the world before we were called to be Christians. We weren't famous. We weren't noted, you know, by by people of the world. We were pretty much nobodies. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Everything that we are, we owe to God. We have wisdom that a lot of people could not comprehend. Wisdom of of God being one yet three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The miracle of the incarnation, the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, the resurrection from the dead, the ascension of Jesus Christ. We take all these things for granted. We understand them. We have faith and trust in them. And most people in the world today who are not Christians, who don't have a relationship with God, these things are a mystery to them. They're incomprehensible. And the only reason that we understand what we understand, the only reason that we have the wisdom that we have that God has given us. We didn't come up with it on our own. We didn't learn about it in in a class, you know, someplace in a school. This goes beyond that kind of education. It is spiritual education, and it is a gift from God. So isn't that interesting? It brings us back to the animals again. The animals that we choose to be our pets, the the, the things that we teach them, the training that we may give them, that just expands all of their horizons. It makes them so much better than they ever would have been out in the wild. Plus, another thing too is you've probably sustained their lives many years. Because if they didn't have a home to come to, they could have been put to death in the uh, pound or gotten hit by a car out there in the street. I mean, it still happens occasionally, but you've prolonged their lives and made their lives healthier. You've blessed their lives with the work that you've put into taking care of them. And God appreciates that. And there's so many lessons to be learned. 
because it brings us back to our relationship with God once again. He took us out of this fallen world. We don't understand why. And scripture says he chose us before the foundation of the world. Somehow he knew us that far in advance. He knew that we would be called. He knew that we would be chosen. And he has the ability to even now look ahead far into the future to see us in his kingdom, to see us in that new creation that he has prepared that is going to come. So only in relationship with God will we become all that God intended us to be. And here we are. Here we are. You know, finally, God uses the example of how impossible it is to tame some creatures. I want to turn uh, back here to Job. I think it's Job. Uh, I didn't write this one down, but let me take a quick look here. He talks about these two creatures, uh, the Leviathan and the Behemoth. And sometimes people wonder, is he talking about dinosaurs here? Chapter 41, he talks about how impossible it is to tame these creatures. He says, uh, Job 41 verse 1, can you pull in the Leviathan with a fish hook? So this is a creature that lives in the water or tie down his tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he keep begging you for mercy? Will he speak to you with gentle words? And so on and so forth. He's talking about a very strong, overpowering animal. Now you can cha uh, tame your chihuahua or your, your uh, poodle or anything like that, but when it comes to animals like this, uh, it's very difficult. It's, it's a great challenge. And he also talks about the uh, behemoth as well, another land animal, uh, and talks about how difficult it is to deal with an animal like that. And the lesson of this discourse is the whole book covers God taming, if you will, a human being. Who is the human being? Job. We know that Job had issues with God, and uh, he was greatly troubled at the beginning. A lot of trials came upon him, not accidents, but God let Satan strike at Job and bring about tragedy in his family and death and suffering. And Job questioned why, because Job thought, hey, compared to others, I think I'm a pretty good guy. Why would God allow this to happen? Did God make a mistake? Uh, does he have a beef against me? And he goes through the whole book just picking on God and kind of judging God and criticizing God. And his friends offer help and suggestions to try to answer his questions throughout the book. But it's not until this man Elihu speaks that he starts to speak some sense to Job. And through this whole book, and through this whole story, finally at the very end of the book of Job, after God himself intervenes, Job says, you know, God, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, 
but now my eye sees you, and I repent in dust and ashes. And if you read through these final chapters of the book of Job, God is making a point here, bringing a self-righteous, judgmental person to the point of repentance is like trying to tame a hippopotamus. It's like trying to tame a crocodile. It's very difficult. <laughs> it's near, nearly impossible. Only God can bring about change like that. And the same applies to us. When you consider the effort that God put forth to bring us to the point of repentance. And some people in this world, you know, it says that God draws nigh to the humble, but rejects the proud. And there's a lot of proud people in this world. And somehow God was able to manage bringing us to the point of repentance, helping us to see our sins, to help us to realize God's mercy and God's grace, and make the decision to receive that grace personally for ourselves and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. God says it's tough. You know, sometimes we try to bring friends, you know, to God and uh, they don't want to repent or they don't want to get involved in religion. They don't want, want to make a commitment to God. And you know, it's very difficult sometimes for people to come to that point or to be, to be brought to that point. And we get frustrated. You know, we think, God, I've been praying for my son or my daughter all these years, even decades, and they're still not coming to church and they're still not this and they're still not that. And it's like God pats us on the, on the shoulder and says, don't worry. It's a hard job that you've taken up trying to bring somebody to the point of being baptized and being a Christian. He said, sometimes it's as hard as trying to tame a hippopotamus or a crocodile. But God doesn't force anybody to the point of repentance. We all have free will. We all make our own decisions for ourselves and then end up living with the consequences of our decisions. So I think God encourages us and says, you know, don't lose hope, don't give up, but realize it's not an easy task you've undertaken, trying to change somebody. You just focus on yourself and change yourself to the best of your ability. So there are a lot of lessons to be found here. We're just talking about the last several chapters of the book of Job. So just as animals were created to serve humanity, we were created to serve God. Never lose sight of that. Just as animals find pleasure in serving us, we should find pleasure in serving God and growing in a bond and an emotional relationship with Him. Secondly, only in a relationship with God will we become all that God intends us to be. Just as these pets that we have it could even be a cow, you know, Paul Fedorchik out on the farm dealing with some of the steers that he has or the sheep or the goats. That same ability is put in all those different animals. And they may not jump in your lap, but they respond to you. They know your voice. And, uh, you know, it's just a beautiful thing to see when it happens. But as I said, only in a relationship with God will we become all that God intends us to be, just as these animals will only become all that they were intended to be by being in relationship with us and learning from us and being loved by us and being cared for by us, just as we are by God. 
And then finally, the example of the, the giant animals that cannot be tamed. God was helping Job see and Job's friends see that it is very difficult to bring a person to repentance to the point that they're humbled and uh, realize their sins and they realize their need for a savior. So uh, the things that we can learn from animals, they teach us about God actually. Just as Paul said, just look around the creation that you see, learn lessons from what you see and uh, God has a lot to teach us. So we love God's scripture but we also can be taught by what he has brought into existence, the creation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the lessons you taught us today. It just reminds us of our responsibility to you and our relationship with you. You have helped us to see more clearly by showing us in our relationship with animals. So, Father, thank you for the lessons and draw us closer to you in everything. Just as we have so much love for an animal, our pets, we know that you have much more love for us. And Father, thanks for bringing out in us everything that could be. It's only because we know you and you love us and your son died for us that we can experience these things. We're so thankful for them. And thank you, Father, for your revelation to us. We continue to grow uh, in knowledge more and more about you, even little things like this. Help us to see you more clearly. So thank you. We pray this now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.